0: Today is uh, January 6th. It is uh, 2013. Boy, that's hard not to choke on, huh? 2013. My goodness. Our message today is snake bitten, right? Snake bitten. Uh, before we hop into the word, though, which is going to be John 3, somebody messed up my whole life. They, uh, they just swung a wrecking bar right through it. We've been saying we're in revival, right? And and I I really do believe that. I think what we're seeing are the beginning stages. Of course, maybe the greatest American revivalist there ever was was Charles Finney. And uh, somebody messed up and gave me his revival lectures. And those of you that have all given me books lately, uh, and there's been five or six of them, you know. Uh, Pastor, would you read this book on prophecy? And I'm halfway through it. I love it. Pastor, would you read this book on the sons of Hamas? can't find you. I'm halfway through that one. I, I, I love it. I, I'm halfway through about five books right now. I'm just warning you, they're all going to the back for a little while because uh, this one's going to get read first. It got pushed to the front. I'm, I'm going to tell you something, though, from it that just was a dagger, okay? I mean, is it okay if I tell you what crushes me? Yeah. Yes. I mean, it won't bother you at all because your lives are all right. It's mine. It's messed up. Christian, <laughs> who are you speaking about when revival hits? Christians will have their faith renewed. While they're in their backslidden state, they are blind to the state of sinners. Their hearts are hard as marble. The truths of the Bible appear like a dream. They admit it all to be true. Their conscience and their judgment assent to it. But their faith does not see it standing out in bold relief and all the burning realities of eternity. But when they enter into revival, they no longer see men as trees walking. But they see things in that strong light which will renew the love of God in their hearts. This will lead them to labor zealously to bring others to Him. They will feel grieved that others do not love God when they love Him so much. And they will set themselves feelingly to persuade their neighbors to give Him their hearts. So their love to men will be renewed. They will be filled with a tender and burning love for souls. They will have a longing desire for salvation of the whole world. They will be in agony for individuals whom they want to have saved, their friends, relatives, even enemies. They will not only be urging them to give their hearts to God, but they will be carrying them to God in the arms of their faith. And with strong crying tears, beseech God to have mercy on them and save their souls from endless burnings. We have three, four, five, six miracles in the service, and we call it Revival the kingdom of course we have miracles you go to disney world you're going to have rides you enter the kingdom of god you're going to have miracles but the mark of revival friends the mark of revival is souls and i just want to tell you church you need to stir yourselves to hunger you need to invite the wrecking power of the holy ghost to just turn your life upside down if you haven't seen somebody born again This year, six days into the year, you're already behind pace. When you can't sleep at night because they've not found what you have. This is revival. I just wanted to drop that note on you as you go to John 3. I'm not going to ask you how it sits with you. I'm your pastor. I know good and well how you square with it and it squares with you. Does the Holy Ghost tell you that we can, we can do more?
1: Amen.
0: Come on, does the Holy Ghost tell you that we can rise to become more? Yes. yes. Does the Holy Ghost tell you that you are anointed for more? Yes. The kingdom is not part of our tricks. He didn't put His Spirit on you, in you, with you, so that you could sit on your salvation and watch the world go to hell. He didn't do that. Amen. He's called you to be an ambassador. He's called you to be a soldier. He's called you to be a loving saint of the living God, loving him out loud in the dying world. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, that's worth a hand clap, David. That's okay. Give Jesus a hand clap. Let us talk about the state of affairs around us. Preachers are always doing this. Let me do better than that. We could talk about everybody out there, couldn't we? And at the end of the day, it would be little more than Christian gossip. Why don't we talk about us in here? Pick up in John 3.1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. Before we go any further, when you hear these words, you tend to think of Nicodemus in a bad light. I mean, he's one of those Pharisees, right? To us, Pharisee is synonymous with a hypocrite. But in the first century, it was not so. Josephus tells us that in the first century, around the time of Jesus, there were as little as 3,000 actual Pharisees, meaning those who adhered to the strictest sects of Phariseeism. But they created a movement in Israel, one that stood up to the religious aristocracy, one that said, temple worship is great, but nothing surpasses your personal devotion to the scriptures and the God of the scriptures. Are you agreeing with that? Yeah. yeah. They were men who said, we want to separate ourselves from what is common. And we want to walk in what is holy. Are you feeling that? He's one of those, as was Paul. As were many in Acts 15. Members of the party of the Pharisees, it says. Not a bad word. Men who were a part of a religious movement that was a back to the scripture. A kind of proto sola scriptura, if you will. This man was not only one of those 3,000, he was one of the Jewish ruling council. The Sanhedrin had some 70 members on it. This was the Congress of Israel. This man would have had the five books of Moses totally memorized. He would have had the 39 books of the older canon so familiar to him that he could tell you what the top five rabbis had said about every passage from heart. In a day before lexicons and concordances, these men were like walking computers. How are you feeling about him now? He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know. Apparently he's not speaking for himself. We know you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. This is about where most of us are. We know Jesus is of God. We know that there are miracles. We've come to Him because we know these things. How many times have we just said, oh, if they could just know Jesus, right? Since the 70s, the language for the non-Catholic Protestant movement has been born-again evangelicals, right? So that it's become another little USDA stamp. Like you say you're born again, you get the stamp Christian and move on. This man said Jesus was a miracle worker that came from God and that was not enough. In verse 3, in reply Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Or some translations say, born from above. We've reduced born again to a little prayer at an altar. Fred, I one time confessed that I loved hamburgers. It didn't make me a hamburger. I can tell you who the hamburglar is and where you find it. I love those gold marches, and in any country I'm in, I'm happy to see them. <laughs> Calling yourself born again does not make it so. Since this word has become so familiar to us, I'd like to choose a different phrase today. Have you been born from above? Is there something of the heavens found in your life now? Not at a confession today. Is there something of that heavenly kingdom that is working in your life right now? How do you pass that test, friends? Do you have the thoughts of God? Does He have your thoughts? Everybody's fond of saying, Oh, well, God knows my heart. But do you know His heart? Do you have the heavens inside of you? In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born from above. Oh, we all know who Jesus is, but how many in your daily life are seeing the kingdom? We get so excited when deaf ears get open, and boy, I get excited too. Mighty King Jesus! It's a daily part of the kingdom, it's not like sighting a unicorn. Are getting Bigfoot on tape. It's a daily part of the kingdom. Why is it so rare? Because not nearly so many people, as claimed, are actually born of the substance of heaven. They've simply learned the jargon of the saints. Oh, this morning I hope that we could reevaluate our walk and say, If we stripped away everything of man, if you stripped away everything a preacher ever told you and you just had to stand today on what exists in your life that you know is of heaven, how do you stand? Because I got to tell you, friends, God never lies, but even his preachers often do. You ask them how many go to their churches. You ask them how many were saved in a campaign. You often get more numbers than there are people in the town. It's like they stopped counting heads and started counting fingers and toes. (laughs) Apparently pride has destroyed many. What is in your life that you know is not an earthly substance. It is definitely of the heavens. What is there? Because this man could quote the word like, Nobody in this room can. This man had the respect of an entire nation for holiness. Not just one of 3,000, one of the 70 that the entire nation saw as anointed of God to lead. And Jesus said, if you're not born of heaven, you will never see the kingdom. How can a man be born when he is old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. One clear sign that we are not born of the heavens, not born again, is we no matter what is said, we only have an earthly frame of reference. We always have in mind the things of men. We cannot grasp that there is a world just beyond our eyes that we're interacting with every day. Every problem to us when we're not born of heaven has an earthly solution. How are you stacking up now, my friends? When you have a problem, when it becomes difficult, does the stuff of heaven rush through your veins? Or does the dirt that we were ripped out of take over? How can a man be born when he's old? Nicodemus asked, surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water. And the Spirit, flesh gives birth to flesh. The Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. If you want to be born of the substance of heaven, heaven has to touch you. Heaven has to come for you. John 6, 44 says you cannot be saved unless the Spirit of the Father draw you. So when did He come? When did He touch you? When did He invade your life and set up residence? This idea that we're just pretty good old boys who always kind of knew that Jesus was Lord, and one day we decided to follow Jesus is patently absurd. Jesus is not an alternative lifestyle. He is a resurrection from a dead life. Amen. Come on, if you were dead, and somebody put their hands on you and you came back to life, you'd have no problem nailing down the day. course, if he's just like a diet, if he's just like a music fan, if he's a part of a very busy life, then who knows, it was probably sometime, I don't know, back in the fall. Are you beginning to see our problem, saints? We've heard about Jesus so much. We've been surrounded by Jesus so much that just like in Nicodemus, we can come and say, Oh, good teacher. We know that you come from heaven. We know that you're a miracle worker. We know, we know, we know. But you not have anything of heaven inside of you. Oh, wow. You know the old jokes. Somebody in the church had a heart attack. They called the paramedics and pulled out six survivors before they found the man who had died. You know how it goes. What do you say when you're on the outside of the church? Say, oh, I don't go to church because they're all hypocrites. Well, what are you?
1: <laughs>
0: Grew up in church all my life, Eric. My daddy was a preacher. My granddaddy was a preacher. My mama was a praying woman. Well, good for you. Get some Jolly Ranchers and have a <laughs> sweet time. What does that do for you? What does it do? Besides give you a false sense of assurance. This guy had a religious pedigree that none of you have. And I can say that beyond confidently because I've studied what it took to be where he is. And you know what? We don't have it. And most of the apostles didn't either, save one. And once he had been touched of heaven, he said, all of that was to be compared with refuse. He actually used a different word. But I feel like being polite this morning. <coughs> can you tell me? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but Spirit gives birth to Spirit. Oh, to be born of God, you have to have touched God. To have the Spirit, you have to have been touched by the Spirit. When did it happen? Rock your mind. Search your hearts. Don't you think if you were touched by the divine, you would know it? (laughs) Don't you think if the all surpassing glory of God Reached His hand into your heart You would know it Oh, I think in vacation Bible school When I was three I think you're in your sins, friend That's what I think Now, I love that I found this passage It's like it popped out of my Bible Look at this next word Verse 7 You should not be surprised and me saying, you must be born again. <laughs> you might have a footnote there. The you is plural. Come on, Southerners. Y'all. Y'all, y'all. y'all should not be surprised at <laughs> me saying, y'all must be born again. Jesus represented that the, or realized that the man represented a movement. He realized that there's a whole group of men who had tried in all of their own effort to approach the throne of God, and yet they were falling short. And so in the one man, he addressed them all. And in addressing Nicodemus, he addresses you as well. He says, y'all must be born of heaven. Y'all. How about this? Shalom, (laughs) y'all. I saw that in the Armenian quarter of Jerusalem. And if they hadn't already gotten all the rest of my money, I would have bought it. (laughs) Y'all should not be surprised at my saying, y'all must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So is it with everyone born of the Spirit. Now I'm just going to get off of my preacher pedestal for a minute. Is that okay, Renard? I just step right down here and it's just you and me talking for a minute. I had no idea what he was talking about. It's like we're talking about being born again, then I got lost in a windstorm. I have no idea for many, many years. Of course, if I'd grown up in Israel as a young Jewish child, among the first things I would have learned to quote would be the book of Ecclesiastes. Joy, can you put the 11th chapter and 5th verse on the screen? And if i learned to quote the book of Ecclesiastes, I might have said... So, no, no, not 5'11", five, 11'5". 11, 11, five. got dyslexia in my mind. If I said it wrong, I'm sorry, sweetie. As you do not know the path of the wind, or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. A footnote in this passage says that the Hebrew actually says something more like, or infers something more like, you don't know how life or the Spirit enters a body in the mother's womb. Now doesn't that fit the context of what Jesus is telling Nicodemus? you great learned man and yet you don't know the most basic thing about what it means to be born of heaven. How the substance of heaven enters into a man. Isn't this the crux of the question? I can tell you all day long that you must, you must, you must but if we don't tell you how what are you other than condemned and defeated? Jesus dropped what is called stringing pearls upon the man he refers to a passage without calling it chapter and verse they didn't have them and he expected him to know it and because he didn't respond correctly verse 9 how can this be Nicodemus asked you are Israel's teacher said Jesus Come on, man, you got the book memorized, and you don't seem to know what it means. If you're detecting sarcasm in this, it's actually ridicule. Jesus, the man filled with all the power of God, is looking at a man that has the Scripture memorized. He knows all of the right things. He even knows who Jesus is, but there's nothing of heaven in him. And he says, you presume to be Israel's teacher, And you do not understand these things. I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know. And we testify to what we have seen. But still, you people... Come on, say, you people. people. (laughs) people? these people? You people. You people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Before we get to this 14th verse, what an amazing concept! Our Bible starts with a claim that no other holy book in all the world makes. The Spirit of God is hovering over darkness and waters. The Creator of all things is hovering over what has been created. And there's tohu vavohu there. Wanton, waste, chaos, destruction. And he speaks into it. And he gives life. He begins to separate that which is dark from that which is light. He begins to bring order day after day. And then he puts a man as the supreme ruler of the creation. And now that God is doing it again. He's looking over first century humanity. He sees the Roman occupation. He sees the sons of God in Judaism living like mere men. And he takes human form. Born in a manger. What an awesome step down. Anybody ever been demoted? Oh my goodness. I'm not going to get all up in your personal business but I just want to tell you I've been in lots of hospital rooms. I've been hospital rooms beside people for 20 years. One of the most difficult things for a man to deal with is when he cannot get out of the bed to go use the facilities. The living God reduced himself to a baby and was dependent on someone to Him. That is so far beyond my ability to comprehend. That hurts me almost as much as the crucifixion hurts. have equality with God and lay it aside and be a baby that had to be fed and changed every two hours. I would have chosen some other century myself. Definitely wouldn't have been the first century. That God would reach into humanity Because they could know all about Him, but not retain the knowledge or His glory. They could know all about Him, but not have the ability to be born of Him and want to change that. What did Nicodemus say to Jesus? He said, You're a miracle worker. You're from God. Isn't this right? What has Nicodemus said that is wrong? Nicodemus rightly identifies Jesus, at least part of his ministry. As we get to the 14th verse, we find out the problem. I bet it's not where you thought it was. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in Him may have eternal life. Again, an allusion to Jewish history. How do we get to something like this? How does the man bounce from Ecclesiastes to the book of Numbers? Go to Numbers 21. And what on earth is he talking about? I was in the medical community, and I was amazed. The word MD seemed to stand for minor deity. If a man was a neurologist, that was a special deity above all of the other deities, especially if he was a neurosurgeon. There were egos that could not fit through doors. And they all wore a symbol somewhere on them in almost every hospital, and it comes from numbers. It comes from the 21st chapter and most were completely unaware of it. What is it that heals us? What is it that will fix us? Is it antibiotics? Is it Vicodin? Is this what this man needed? He needed some Vicodin. I went to see somebody yesterday to pick up some bags and they had their bong sitting out right there. Facebook and bong. That about describes a generation, doesn't it? And Mama was sitting there right next to him, all strung out. Would that make you mad? It didn't make me mad. It broke my heart for them. What kind of life? It was not so very long I slept under a bridge with some friends of mine. A guy they call Froggy. Hit up a crack rock. my friend said hey you know he's a preacher (coughs) sorry and he walks off really does that make it different if you're not standing with the preacher does that make it how debased can we go my friends that we have to live on substances that were oftentimes meant to kill rodents does it make you mad it doesn't make me mad You know, if you walk up to anybody, not just a crack addict, you walk up to Nicodemus or the equivalent to Nicodemus, you, say, hey, how's it going. What's everybody say? Fine. We can put stickers on our car that say life's terrific, business is great, right? (coughs) When's the last time you walked up to somebody and said, hey, Bob, how you doing? And Bob said, struggling with sin and I'm fighting to stay with my head above the water and I love the Lord but my flesh is fighting with me and I need to pray with me anybody had that experience in the first six days of this year then you've been lying to each other haven't you oh we always say the same thing I'm doing good I'm doing fine and you stay away from people that don't say that don't you you find that one guy in the room say, How are you doing? Oh, my back hurts and my bunions and mine. And you're like, Yeah, good for you. I, I'm, I, I, I'm sorry. Somebody's called. Get me somebody, anybody. You know? We never know our true state. And neither did Israel. Look at Numbers 21 here for just a second. Verse 4. They traveled from They traveled from Mount Hor along the rock to the Red Sea to go around Edom, But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against who? God. And against Moses and said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? Did God bring them out to die? What did He bring them out to do? Live. But to find real life along the way, He had to humble them. He had to test them in order to know what was in their heart. He had to teach them to live on the word of God rather than on bread. What are your trials for? What is he trying to teach you? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. Oh Jesus. Come on, we got a little theologian in here somewhere. What's the miserable food? Somebody say. Amen. Can you put miserable and manna in the same sentence? It fell from the heavens. It's heavenly substance. It goes into a man and nourished him. (laughs) Something of heaven ought to cry out for that little piece of heaven. Like deep calling out to deep. Spiritual people ought to want to live on spiritual food. Of course, if you've never actually been born of heaven, and you're like, what is all this religious speak about? Man, God knows my heart. And you pacify yourselves with all kind of neat little bumper sticker theology about when you one time prayed a prayer. I can't tell you how many people prayed the sinner's prayer and will bust hell wide open. I myself was baptized four times before I was born again. It was a requirement in every church my parents dragged me to. The third time I was baptized, it was by a homosexual Lutheran priest. It didn't take. When I got to the Baptist church, they said, oh, hell, it just wasn't done right. They used a little seashell and a saucer, and they poured it over your head, see if we dunk you. That's how baptism supposed to be done. So I went in a dry center, and I came out a wet center. The kid in front of me had purple hair, and it washed off in the baptismal. It made a <laughs> heavenly sight. I stained their choir robes. I could speak all the religious speak, but there was nothing of heaven in me. And if you spoke words from heaven, they were detestable to me. You know why? I was a slave to sin, and it hurt to hear. You spoke on holiness. You said things like, if you say you have fellowship with the Father, and you walk in darkness, you're a liar. I thought you were talking to me. Of course you were. heard verses like, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, shall enter my kingdom, but only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. I was so hung up on the fact that I knew beyond any shadow of a doubt they had told me I was going to heaven, but I was not doing His will. No amount of twisting, no amount of arm-wrenching, no amount of theological kung fu could fix that problem, because it was stated plainly in Matthew 7. These people have accused God, accused Moses, and called heavenly provision miserable food. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We have sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it on a pole. When anyone looked at it, they lived. What was the Lord trying to teach? Bronze in the Bible is always the medal of judgment. Having been bitten by a snake, they looked upon the symbol of that sin of theirs, they put it at eye level. And if you want to display a snake, the medical community does it on a vertical pole wrapped around it. Of course, I think it would be easier to see that snake if it were on a cross. Is this magic? I mean, Holy Ghost? Hocus pocus? You know, hocus pocus is a word the Protestants made up making fun of the Catholics. They really did. It's, it has to do with Latin. when you When you pray over the the bread and it becomes uh, more than bread. where hocus-pocus comes from. By the way, did you know in Hezekiah's time, oh, I don't know, many centuries later, Hezekiah had to take this bronze, you can find it in 2 Kings 18, he had to take this bronze pole and destroy it because the Israelites began to worship it. Is there any other symbol of sin that was lifted up that a man had to look eye to eye with. A man had to acknowledge that is my sin right there to be healed. You can find those hanging in hospitals too. They're Catholic hospitals. We put crucifixes in every room, don't we? The same thing that Hezekiah destroyed. What is it that the Lord is telling Nicodemus in John 3? You don't know what it is for life to enter a man because you don't understand something. Was it that Nicodemus didn't understand who Jesus was? Is that the problem? What did he call him? A good teacher, a miracle worker, a man come from God. Tell me the truth. Isn't that about as much as any of the apostles understood until after the resurrection? So, what separates them? What is it? What doesn't he understand? You can tell me, what doesn't he understand? He doesn't understand his own state. He thinks he's all right with God. Why does he think he's all right with God? Well, he had insulated himself with Scripture. He had insulated himself with a moral lifestyle. He had insulated himself with the blankets of warm religion. And Jesus is telling him, When I am lifted up, I will draw all men to me. There's only one cure for your snake-bitten disease, is what Jesus is telling him problem is he didn't see himself as diseased. Did I tell you that we were going to talk about everybody else today? Or that we would talk about us? Oh, saints of God, we're called to so much more. We're princes. And sometimes you've been caught diving in dumpsters. Clicking where things ought not be clicked. Saying what ought not be said. Watching things that are so indecent that heaven shuns and looks away? Not caring about the things that God cares about. Living for our next entertainment, our next thrill. Is that the substance of heaven? If the Lord of glory were here, where would He find the Pharisees? Where would He find the people that said, Sola Scriptura? Or the people that said verbal plenary inspiration? Where would he find the people that said the study of the Word is everything? And yet, in studying the Word, they had never been born of the substance of heaven. We do not find them in churches exactly like this one. Can we not find you here today? There was a solution a man understands his state. When a man understands what it is to be dead and what it is to be alive and that there is no middle ground. If anybody's ever worked on a transmission, you understand what I'm saying. It's either broken or it works right. There is no middle ground. Okay, y'all don't understand that. I've worked on transmissions. You haven't. If anybody's ever been pregnant, you either are or you're not. You're not kind of sort of. The substance of heaven is either coursing through your veins and it so agrees with what I'm saying that you want to leap out of your seat, or the tools of men are working to rationalize your state in your mind. Going back, thinking about dates and times and what people told you. Friends, you wouldn't need anybody's testimony if you had the substance of heaven inside of you. And if you do, in what way is it manifesting? undying passion to see the lost saved because this is what God's heart is about is this what drives you are you driven to see his kingdom advance a single life, a single family a single nation at a time when you wake up more than eating is your food to do the will of the father and to complete his work or are we more earthly than heavenly the man knew who Jesus was he did not know who he was Turn with me to 2 Timothy. Now, turn with me to Ephesians. Joy, put 2 Timothy 2.11 on the screen, and we'll go to Ephesians 1. If you ever have people working in a sound booth in any meeting you're ever in, name them the fruits of the Spirit. It helps so much. Every once in a while, you can just look and go, Joy! And everybody's excited with you, and you are actually calling for help from the sound booth. Second 2 Timothy 2.11. Here is a trustworthy saying: if we died with him, we will also live with him. We relegate this out in our Christian experience. I don't know why we do, but we do. We forget that there is only one way to come to him and be born of the substance of heaven, and that is to have died in him. And you say, Well, wait, 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 wait. This is speaking of the end of a life. Any man would come after me. He must deny himself, take up his cross. Why do you take up a cross? To die with him. When he found you, you were dead in your trespasses, dead in your sin, or you have not been found by him. If you were mostly alive, with just a few death-like problems. If, If you know... You're a pretty socialite with a long string of pearls. No death here. But I decided to follow Jesus. You've deceived yourself. There's only one way to find Calvary's cross, and that's as a dead man. So let me ask you, let's not talk born again for a minute. When were you found convicted, tried, killed by the Holy Ghost? if it hasn't happened, then not only do I, but you should question the salvation that you say you cherish. Christianity is not a religion to make neat, pretty little lives, to take men that are bad and make them good men. Christianity takes dead men and makes them live. Think of this, friends. There's 125, 130 people in here. One man just said, Amen. How could that be? I bet if I said God wants you rich, we'd have got some Amens. I bet if we said God wants to heal you right now, we'd have got some Amens. I bet if we had said we're buying those air conditioners, we'd have got some Amens. Or padded your salvation, we'd have got some Amens. But when we get to the crux of the matter, Have you died so that He can raise you in Christ? Well, that we're going to think about for a while. And hopefully we'll think about it long enough we don't actually have to do anything. Maybe we can think about it and think about it and slowly stop thinking about it and just go on with life, right? Of course, when the Holy Ghost comes upon you, He doesn't let you stop thinking about it. He's coursing through your mind because He wants it to course through your mind. He came to seek and save that which was lost. But you have to know you're lost, friends. You have to know you're lost. You have to know the difference between heaven and the hell that we live in. You have to know what it is to be a slave to sin or freed from sin. Let's not talk of born-again evangelical experience. Let's talk about free from sin or shackled to it. Because I meet everybody that says I'm born again. And you say, how are you doing with your holiness? Well, uh, 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 (laughs) how are you born of heaven and shackled the dumpsters? How does that happen? Is this the example in Jesus? Is this the example in Paul? Friend, where did you find the example? Oh, I'm sorry. You found it in the church. You know, If you have a serious weakness, you can run away from those that have it and feel like a dog in the midst of the righteous until the Lord liberates you. Or you can hang out with those that have the weakness and you can all comfort each other and pat each other on the back while you go to hell. I spent too many years lying and being lied to. Well-intentioned. Six foot four, silver-haired icicle. Tried to convince me I was born again when the Holy Ghost was telling me, You are not. And it didn't square with my theology. Because I prayed the prayer. I would made the confession I could quote the Roman road to salvation. I knew the four spiritual laws. And I could hand out threats. Of course, I could not quit sinning. Was a slave to it. And I was still confessing sin years old because I was <coughs> not free from it. I don't have to ask you how this is setting with you. I can feel how it's setting with you. I don't care who your mama is, your daddy is, where you grew up, how many steeples. First church of better than you, it makes no difference. You're going to stand before the awesome, terrifying presence of God. He gave you a choice. And you're going to be held accountable for that choice. You cannot live as a slave to sin and call yourself a son of heaven. Let us look at the prayer in Ephesians. The prayer in Ephesians has become my prayer. I think, where are you at, Brad Hall? I think Brad Hall tried to turn me on to this in 1993, and I'm just, I'm, I'm going to confess, Brad. You were exposed to some things earlier than I was. And uh, I couldn't digest it. My baby's stomach was only fit for curds and whey, you know. I mean, there was, I couldn't get the meat out of this. But I've revisited it many times through the years. And never has it meant to me what it means today. This is the 18th verse of chapter 1. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and His incomparably great power for us who believe. How many of you want incomparably great power? How many of you want incomparably great power? Amen. Amen. Randy Anderson takes in millions, if not billions of dollars. I don't know if they ever actually cured anybody of cancer. They may have carved it out of somebody. But they certainly can't speak to it and it go away. Let's talk incomparably great power. A child born deaf, they can hear. A woman slated for surgery and her stomach changes before our eyes. A young man with a football injury that goes back as long as he can remember and delivered it. Let's talk incomparably great power. Not in a cathedral in Rome, not behind stained glass or under steeples, but in an ordinary storefront church that has no heroes except the power of the Holy Ghost. That you might know this incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the mighty working of His strength which He exerted in Christ when? When? You want to know that power? He has to have raised you from the dead, friends. He had to find you in a state that you knew you were a tried, convicted, and killed sinner. Your life had to be slain in His presence so that He could breathe into you the breath of heaven and raise you out of the tomb that you had made for your life Set you apart and baptize you in His power. And when this happens, friends, it's not a I think it happened. Maybe it happened. Somebody tell, Mama, did it happen for me? Daddy, did it happen for me? You among all people would know if you were raised from the dead. And it would not be some trickery with your mind. Some parlor trick. It'd be coursing through your veins like the passion of heaven. And he would desire others to have it as well. Everything that Jesus did, we do. Jesus was born. Jesus walked out of life. Jesus died on a cross like a common sinner. And he was resurrected with heaven's power in a life that's indestructible. This is your road map. You were born naturally. You die on a cross as a sinner with Him or else you were never found by Him. But if you died with Him, then He will speak into that death. He will call the dead man out. He will remove the grave clothes and He will give you a new life new power and he will put you in his service as an ambassador I'm going to stop asking you are you born again and say do you speak for God do you speak for God oh be careful what we say amen Too, of all the things you don't want to lie about you don't want to put words in God's mouth how sure are you you speak for God Sure, because his spirit in me is bearing witness with my spirit saying yes, those are my words. I can hear it echoing through the through the second book to the Corinthians in the fifth chapter, I can feel it running through me. I am his ambassador making his plea of reconciliation. but if you have to sit there and go, you know well oh, uh, I don't, I don't know or everybody else said yes. I should probably just say yes. I'm going to invite you to stop being a coward for just a little while. I'm going to invite you to strip away all of that for a second. Forget about what they think, what they're doing. You know, in eternity, you don't get to stand next to them. At that, what they call the bema seed of Christ, where every man gives an account for what he's done in the body, whether good or bad. Your daddy won't be there. Your church friends won't be standing there going, Oh, oh, you really... Yeah, I'm sorry, Jesus. He just forgot for a second. Hold on. Oh, yes, Jesus, what I meant to say was, it will not work that way. You either will have on that white, wedding dress of the righteous acts of the saints produced by faith prompted by love, or you will not. Oh, Jesus, look at verse 2, chapter 2, verse 1. As for you... You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Notice those verb tenses, friends. You were this. They are this now. They are disobedient now. The spirit of the world is in them now. You're either filled with a spirit of satanic disobedience doing what you want to do or you are filled with the righteous spirit of God doing only what He has told you to do. There is no middle ground. There is no weekend warrior. There's not. You can't show up at church on Sunday and Wednesday and say, oh, I'm counted with the righteous. And then go smoke your crack rock. Or watch your MTV. Those two are about as devilish as each other. Again, we get, we get two amens from people who are mature in life. So yeah, yeah, We're all comfortable if we preach about somebody else's sin. But I'm your pastor. I know how you live. You know me. You know how I live. And many of you are shining like stars. Many of you are coasting under the radar. You show up at the services just enough to pacify your conscience. And you scuttle back to your nastiness and sin and pretend God won't see it. You think things like, well, if we get married one day, it'll be right. (laughs) Spit in his face every day and ask him to bless it on the hundredth day. I dare you. I've done too much counseling to know. Do you think that you can come to God when you want to? You can repent when you want to? The early church said so then, even the Gentiles, hear this, have been granted repentance unto life. Granted. If you got a grant from the United States government, you had to apply for it. You had to be chosen for it. Until recent times, anyway. Granted means awarded. You could be granted or awarded repentance. Heaven would give you the power to turn around? Yes. And what if He doesn't? Then you die in your sin. Well, then it's God's fault. If God has to give me the power and He didn't give it to me, no, He offered it to you many times. You slyly said, I'm not ready. I'll do it later. Or one day, once my life is set, I'll do it. Won't He be justified in burning you? I think so, my friends. God is always right, didn't he? He didn't intend for us to stay dead in our transgressions, filled with a spirit of disobedience. He said all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But God, I'm sorry, but because of His great love for us. Why? Because He loved hey, let me ask you something. You ever had to watch somebody else's kids? I mean, I just noticed as a parent, we all love our kids, but... <laughs> oh, y'all not listening to me. We all love our kids, but... I mean, you'll change your child's diaper, but somebody drops off five of theirs and they all got dirty diapers. How you feeling? Suddenly those warm fuzzies have fallen off, hadn't and... they? I mean, because your kid's
1: cute. He just, I mean, oh, whole little kid.
0: I mean, did y'all see what he did? How many people I find that are more crazy are you people that video your cats? Right. (laughs) Everything your cat does is wonderful. Listen. If you're going to love somebody, love a child, did you pick the one that is full of disobedience? Did you pick the one that is only living to gratify their sinful nature? That's what you did. And it's you. He didn't die for the Nicodemuses that thought that they were right with him. He died for the ones that were willing to die with him because they knew they deserved him. Yeah. That's what he died for. That's what he died for. Because in experiencing death with him, he would give you his power to experience life with him. And he would no longer have to be that. Look how far he goes with this. He goes further than I would have gone. He goes further than I think He should. It's a good thing that I'm not God. I could have become a neurosurgeon, I guess. But because of His love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ. Raised us up from where? From death. From the lowest place. And He seated us where? In the heavenly realms. You're either in the grave or you're in the heavenlies. There is no middle ground. You're in the graveyard, friends, calling yourself alive, calling yourself born again, or you're seated in the heavenlies, resurrected with Him. There is no middle ground. What then is the path of a Christian? How does this work, Robert? Well, how's it? How? What are we supposed to do? Anybody want to know, or should we just stop? (laughs) David, what do you think? You want to go further, or you want to sit? Keep going. Go to Kings. Let's go to Kings 17. Oh, I know in the comfortable churches, we're out of here in 59 minutes. I never wanted to be a comfortable church. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know if I ever met a pastor I liked until recently. (laughs) And the ones that I like, I find out all have something in common. But they spend some serious time outside the United States. See, this watered down mamby be milk-toast Christianity does not work. And there's a day when these giant cathedrals are going to crash like the whitewashed wall of Ezekiel said it was. They're going to crash because as long as you leave people sitting in their sin calling themselves saints, there will be no power there. There will be no healing there. There will be no deliverance there. But when you start to get this right, you can be in the presence of God, of the kingdom, not have the slightest clue how to heal or deliver. He'll do it for you. We've stumbled onto all the good things of God. I've spoken with some men of God here recently that have walked this further than I have, longer than I have, then they're smarter than I am. But I still stumble into it because He loves me and because... I am devoted to him. There's no middle ground with Eric Stevens. Can you say that? Can you say it confidently? My mama's here. If I'm saying something wrong, she'll tell you. She's always pointed it out before. My kids are here. If I live one way home and a different way here, they'll tell you. We bring your closest friends. What are they going to say about the time you're not sitting here? What are they going to say that you spend your time doing? You might trick me. Of course, you might not. You'll never trick the Holy Ghost. He searches a man's heart. Some of you think you've got game. I'm willing to let myself be manipulated (laughs) in the that you might slip into what we have. But you cannot manipulate the Holy Ghost. He knows right where you are. King 17. Maybe we ought to set this stage. Now Elijah, the tish bite from tish. That clears it up. (laughs) The tish bite from tish. Did you know William Seymour was from Centerville, Louisiana? I didn't know that. Yeah, I had a dream about that last night. Harham was from Houston. I don't know what it is about this Texas-Louisiana connection. I'm sorry for you people that came all the way from Chicago. You started in the wrong place, but you ended up in the right one. When Seymour went all the way to Los Angeles, you know how many people were in Los Angeles at the, at the turn of, of 1900? Only 250,000 Most of the nation's roads were not paved And when the Azusa Street Revival happened Theodore Roosevelt was president I mean, this is, this is tough for me I'm still a young buck, you know I know, I know what it is I've seen 8-tracks Some of you have never even seen the tape I, I understand <laughs> haven't said that This thing touched the world That happened there It touched the world Amy Simple McPherson came out of there. John G. Lake, I didn't realize this. He was healing before that, but he wasn't baptized in the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues before that. His own testimony, I didn't know that. In fact, most of the major mission works in the world came out of a little room just like this. You know where some of the things they had different than everybody else? They didn't much care whether you were white. Whether you're black, that's your parents' fault, not yours. You know what they cared about? Did you have the power of heaven inside of your home? They didn't care whether you were rich, whether you were poor, whether you lived under a bridge or in a mansion. They wanted to know, did you have the power of the Holy Ghost? And most of the men that began preaching it didn't even know what they were preaching. Others were getting filled with Holy Ghost and speaking other tongues before they were. They didn't even have what they were preaching about. They just knew they were willing to die for the substance of heaven. And so they got it. Oh, boy, did they get it. More than 600 million people that have tasted of the substance of heaven since that day. And yeah, it didn't start there. Ask Evan Roberts what he thought about it in Wales. I mean, it didn't start there. It never did. It goes all the way back to Pentecost. But that's not really the question. We're not historians. The question is, what are you going to do with it? If I were God, I wouldn't have left this up to you. I wouldn't. I know you. I see what some of you choose to eat, watch, do, breathe. I see my own choices. I wouldn't have left this up to me. If I was God, I'd have been a Calvinist. (laughs) but he left it up to you now Elijah the Tishbite from Tish and Gilead said to Ahab as the Lord the God of Israel lives whom I serve there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word whose word brought rain? more specifically whose word stopped the rain? Oh man, Elijah is the ambassador of God. He's speaking for God. God's word in Elijah's mouth is just as powerful as God's word in God's mouth. When Elijah said it, he's God's representative on the earth. And what are you? Mm. Maybe that's why James says Elijah was a man just like you. Of course, not like all of you. He shut up the heavens, friend. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the of me. Man of God don't like to hide. I don't like to hide. I know Matthew doesn't like to hide. i getting to know Jay. He doesn't picture me as the hiding guy. I know Steve, but he's not the hiding guy. He's think Richard that never is. This is a hard word to accept, friends. When you're born in the substance of heaven, you want to go to war, you don't want to go hide. Leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kiriath Ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. Feed you where?
1: Eric, there.
0: Eric, grab that feed microphone. Feed you where? There. Grab the microphone. My mic's dead? Yeah. yeah, completely. Feed you there. I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. How I many of you are struggling with provision in your life? Maybe you're not there. Maybe you're not in the place that God called there. See, because when God told Elijah to shut up the heavens, He did it. When God told Elijah to go to the Kiriath ravine and there I will feed you, He did it. Anybody in here had an uncomfortable move in the last two years? Come on now. But when God says there I will feed you, there I will go. Amen. There's nothing more precious to the Lord than obedience. He died for your obedience, friends, to take you from a death-dealing corpse to a resurrected, obedient Son of God. This is what He died for. is that transformation from the base and the lowly to the high and the heavenly. Are you born again? You would know. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Why was there no rain? Because Elijah said there would be no rain. Why did Elijah say there was no rain? Because God said there would be no rain. Was he in the place that God said he'd provide for him? Yes. And sometimes God says it's time. It sounds like you got two messages going here. I promise I don't. I
1: don't
0: know what I'm gonna do on a leash.
1: There we go. Listen.
0: The king of the universe desires that every man, woman, and child in this room would have life. Real life. He desires it. He desires it enough to have sent his son. He desires it enough for that son to be the firstborn among many brothers. He desires it enough to send others from wherever they were comfortable, whatever brook they were being provided in, to where you are. And one of the ways that he does it is he dries it up so that they don't have a choice because apparently we all struggle to be obedient.
1: Anybody
0: experience a brook drying up? I don't want to say your loss is my game. I don't want to say it, but I just said it, didn't I? <laughs> I was comfortable in a little church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, because I was seeing the kingdom. I was seeing the kingdom. I didn't ever want to go anywhere else. Now they later wanted me to go, but I didn't. I didn't. I didn't want to go. My brook Drive. So I stopped in Lafayette, and I was sure. Well, I'll make my home here in Lafayette, and Catholics started getting saved and filled with the Holy Ghost, and some of them saw resurrection power. They saw amazing things. So I thought, okay, well, I, I mean, this is it in the Brook Drive. For I came here. And I'll be here as many days as the Lord tells me to be here. For one purpose, the same purpose Elijah had. Look who he runs into. Sometime later the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I have commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. Oh, Jesus, how humbling can this get? I'm not going to ask you for you to respond because I know in your lives how hard it is some of the things that are happening to you. Elijah, the great prophet of Israel, gets to leave Israel. And he gets to go to a foreigner. Now, what kind of foreigner? Surely a king, surely a palace. I mean, it's Elijah! He shuts up the heavens with his bird, even the animal kingdom bring in his provision like a train. Where's he going to go? The lowest member of society, a widow. Hmm. Is that what you would have chosen for Elijah? Is it? Probably not what Elijah would have chosen for himself, but then our God is awful concerned with the lowly things. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in the jar so I may have a drink? As he was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. That guy threw pleas in there. That made it more palatable, right? As surely as the Lord... Who's God? As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied. I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and... How strange for the living God To be so interested in people who are dying But he is She has the sentence of death In her heart Man what a place For the Holy Ghost to bring you The sentence of death in your heart Everything that you've done Everything that you are Should just end now Because none of it's Yielding life Not the place of suicide though some of you have been in that place might recognize this. Despair. Utter depravity. Such yuckiness that there is no way out. There is nothing left for me but death. Maybe we say fine all of the time to avoid the truth. Uh, Maybe the truth for the average man is I'm holding on by threat. I have little left to live for. I see some hope in the next event, and then when I get to that event, it's not what I hoped it would be. I think that's closer to the truth? Mm-hmm. At least this woman knew right where she was. Elijah, you've come to the wrong foreign widow because I die. No, this is the one that the Lord always comes to. It comes to the one that knows that they're dying. You want the Lord to come to you? You've got to be honest about your state. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you've said. I'm so glad for the next word is (laughs) but. Go home and do as you've said. She's just said, I'm going to go home and die. (laughs) Go home and do as you've said. You can't excerpt the scripture, friends, and I'm so glad because this next word is everything. But first, make a small cake of bread for me. From what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says: the jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry, until the day the Lord gives rain on this land. Who shut up the rain? Who might have an idea when it was going to rain again? But let me ask you: isn't it audacious? Jennifer's about to die, right? She's a widow. She's about to die. So T.J. comes hopping into town. He's God's man of power for the hour. says, what you doing, girl? Oh, I'm about to die. Go home. Do as you said. But first, make something for me. It's a mean red velvet cake. That's what I'd ask for. (laughs) First, do something for me. There is a miracle that's happening here. When you really realize your state, you become desperate. You would do anything that was asked, even if it goes contrary to nature. Come on, Daniel. If you're about to die, if your family's about to die, and I asked for something, It'd have to be supernatural for you to give it to me and risk starvation. This might be the first display of real trust. Derek, the way you do this, Keith. the way you do it, Shelby, the way you do it, Fred, the way you do it, is when you're in that place of desperation, the Lord speaks to you and He tells you what you must do. And it goes contrary to everything in you. But then again, you're desperately found And the choice is death or life. He said, But Lord, I I might die if I do it. He says, You're dying because you haven't done it. You're dying because you haven't done it. It comes with a promise of provision, friends. Obedience brings power. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. And if you're a member of the prosperity pimps, these guys that run around and fish for funds all day long, this is the only part of the message you teach. Give to the Lord and He'll give back to you. Give to the Lord and seven times over you'll get it back. You know what this did not result in? A convert. The Lord is providing for her and she is not yet converted. you know how many people I've seen that are healed that were not Christians? How many people I saw healed that never became Christians? Look, because the Lord touched you at some point in your life, because the Lord did something special for you, is a testament to Him being a good God, not your changed nature. I'm going to tell you the truth. Even the anointed man of God that stands on the stage and does wonderful miracles, the miracles do not testify to his personal state of holiness. They testify to God's goodness. And if the 50s and 60s did not prove that to the church, then we're blind. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. I want to tell you, sin is an illness that grows worse and worse. And it will take your life. What it first starts off as an experiment, a curiosity later becomes a slavish addiction and then becomes the throes of death. She said to Elijah, What do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill myself? We don't like the kind of preaching that you're hearing today. We don't like Christians who live like this because it reminds us that there's an alternative to a slavish addiction to sin. There is an alternative. She's upset with him. She's mad. His very presence in her life reminds her of sin, and now's her chance to vent it. Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? How insulting. How is the son living He's been living off of the kindness of Elijah as they were obedient to his word. Oh, Christian, hear me. though I'm talking to you who are sold out for a minute. If you can't get good and punched in the face for the gospel, if you can't let somebody wipe their feet off on you and never know what you did and keep walking, you're in the wrong business. They almost never realize what you're doing. They insult you. I have more people tell me I'm a bad father and a bad husband while I'm helping them get delivered from what they truly are in bondage to. I have more people attack me personally. It's okay to do the same thing to Jesus. It's an honor. Sometimes I slap faces just to tell you the truth, Steve. They'll slap your face just to find out if you're like the previous 25 that said the same thing you said. See, everybody's talking it nowadays. We're all like Nicodemus, good teacher good teacher, but you need to know which one can you punch right in the face in your anger and frustration and your bondage to sin, and they're going to love you through it. Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his bed. We like to keep the lost at a distance, those bad people over there. We want to segregate. Today, we don't segregate based on color. We segregate based on economics. We segregate based on doctrines. We segregate based on anything we can find. We segregate. The most destructive thing that we ever allowed in the church I was a part of is to have a meeting that was this age and up. So I don't allow them anymore. We can have a meeting that's 50 and up, and that's the suggestion that anybody's free to come. We have a meeting that's 20 and down, but anybody's free to come. Because as soon as you start to split up the body of Christ, our God wants us to pull each other close. And there's a reason. See, when somebody's dying, you need to stretch life out on them. You need to rub shoulders with death. You need to take a, a young girl who's mad at the world and show her what she's really called for. You need that. And then she needs to live with you long enough, slap your face long enough, be ugly to you long enough and see you love her that she goes, my God, this gospel is real. I believe in a deed-based evangelism, action-based Christianity. As much as I've addressed the sinner, now I'm addressing the saint in here. I do not believe you get them saved from a distance. I do not believe that the great man of God waves his hand over the masses and they're suddenly born again. Or they may make a decision. It may initiate something. But if we cannot rub shoulders together, then the life that is in you will never get on them. So let's move away from just, are you saved for a second? And let me ask you, did you bring anybody in your close personal space? Are you really rubbing shoulders with somebody? Are you allowing for the life that's in you to get on them? Or are you so scared that you don't really have life in you that you're more scared of the death on them? You know, I don't have a problem bringing people who aren't saved in my house because I got them so outnumbered. I don't have a problem going to sleep with crack addicts. I really don't. Because you know what's in me? It's so much better than crack I don't have a problem telling a Mexican drug dealer to shoot. I really don't. I'm assured of something. It's not a theory for me. I live for it. And I love it. Elijah stretched himself out on him. Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and there he laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, "Oh Lord my God, have you brought tragedy also upon this widow I'm staying with by causing your son to die? Elijah must have felt like the harbinger of death. He's pronounced a famine that's killing Israel. He's gone to Zarephath. They're feeling the famine. He's taken the widow's food, and God's provided more, but now it's son dies. Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried, Lord, oh Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. Oh, well, I tried one time. You know, it didn't work. They stole my wallet and left. I think the first weekend Matthew and I went out to preach, somebody stole my wallet. I didn't
1: have much. Trouble. <laughs> I
0: mean, they, got a, they got a whopping twenty-six dollars. You gotta let that be an excuse not to get together. Well, I loved somebody one time. I stretched out for him. That slapped my face. And they spit on me, and they went. I went. Thank you, Jesus. Where, where, were you when, 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 he found you? You weren't dead. Oh, you came in some other way than the normal. You were allowed to come in with your pride. Your reputation Your belongings Everybody else He said do not be afraid Little flock My father delights you In the kingdom Go sell your possessions but, but to you He said no Keep it all How does that work friends We got two kind of Christians Some that get to keep All their stuff Some that get to keep Their reputation Keep their pride Keep themselves intact And some that have to Give it all up And follow him every day What kind of Christian Are you See, everybody thinks they're a Christian. What kind are you? If we're all Christians in here, are you the kind that goes and stretches himself out once, twice, three times, or not at all? Elijah's protege stretched himself out 70 times on a guy. Then we got some strange sneezing, an eschatological message, and life from the dead. Okay, so maybe the eschatological message was what I saw in it. Having said that, it was life from the dead. Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times. Look at verse 22. The Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. Look at verse 24. Then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God. All the provision in the world didn't do it, but life from the dead did it, friends. Yeah. I can tell you, you could be rich and call out the blessing of God and say, they all no, because I'm rich and it's a alive because you have it all together. They won't know because you've got a, a perfect little storybook life. They will know when you have been brought from death to life. Yes. You know who else will know when you've been brought from death to life? You will know. Yes. Maybe the reason we have all these fanciful doctrines about wealth and prosperity and all this is because nobody's been brought from death to life. They've been brought from the poor house to the bank house, but they haven't been brought from death to life. How does that make you any different than Donald Trump? How does that make you any different than any rich guy that ever stole this wealth? Let's get real, Jesus. Let's get real before Him. You know your state. You know where you're at. You either have the substance of heaven coursing through your veins, or you do not. Oh, could we borrow a word from the spirit of Elijah? He said, oh, do y'all like Elijah? Am I the only one who likes Elijah? When Judah was a little boy, oh yeah, Judah, Stand up for a second so they see you're not a little boy. He's tall as me now. When he was just a little boy, knee high to a grasshopper, right? He could hive off of a quarter, hang his feet off the edge of a nickel. Little bitty guy. I used to tell him stories about Elijah. Because of all the great men of God I found in the Bible, Elijah stood head and shoulders above the others, at least in my thoughts. Then I found out we're filled with all the power of heaven, just like Elijah. Like, thank you, Book of James. Look at verse 21 of chapter 18. Elijah went before the people. y'all like Elijah? Say yes if you like Elijah. Yes. yes. Okay, you said it. Because I'm not saying this. Elijah is. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. Elijah quite simply is saying, fish your cut bait, friends. <gasps> Quit riding the fence. Quit thinking that you can be of the born-again variety and live like hell in a dumpster. You're either born of heaven or you're serving Baal. You're either filled with the Spirit of God or you're filled with disobedience. There is no middle ground. Stop trying to pretend. I normally don't view the cross as a sword, but let me tell you, friends, it is the dividing line in history. It is salvation, but it is also death and destruction. You don't believe me? Look at the nation of Israel, 1,800 years worth. Let His blood be on our head and on the heads of our children. His blood's going to be on you to save you or condemn you, one or the other. The cross is here to save you, or condemn you. You need to know your state. I just wanted to finish with my friend Nicodemus. Because Nicodemus reminded me, I don't know, of us. Go back with me to John 3. Do I have time to finish with Nicodemus? I'm going to feed you. What else? You don't got anywhere to have to be in the next three minutes, do you? What if the next three minutes could change your eternity? Okay, selfish American. What if the next three minutes could change their eternity? Amen. In John 3, how would you describe Jesus and Nicodemus? I would say that's a confrontation, wouldn't you? I would say it's questions and conviction. Look at John 7, verse 50. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, Does our law condemn anyone without first hearing him to find out what he's doing? Anybody set that in context? He's a member of the Jewish ruling council, and the ruling council is trying to condemn Jesus, and who's sticking up for him? Nicodemus. Conviction has moved to defending. Something's going on in Nicodemus' heart. He no longer sees himself simply as one of them. He also identifies with Jesus. Though not yet, ready to do it publicly. How about John 19? Tell me when you're there. John 19. Verse 38. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus. Matthew, come up here. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. What's Nicodemus doing now? He's identifying with the death of Jesus. You know, they put Jesus in a special place. Can you put Luke 2353 on this screen? Nicodemus first shows up flattering Jesus and Jesus slaps him theologically in the face. You don't understand the path of the wind or how life enters a body. You don't understand your own state. You are snake bitten and don't know it. I'll be lifted up and you then, if you look upon me, you'll see your sin and I might be able to help you. Nicodemus in the 7th chapter of John says, oh, don't, don't condemn him. You haven't had to talk to him personally. You haven't had any encounter with him. You don't know what he's like. By the 19th chapter of John, he said, this was not an ordinary man. Let's not treat his body just like an ordinary body. In Luke 23, it says, then he took it down, wrapped it in a linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb. What's that phrase? Cut. In the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. Charles Finney said a church, if not in revival, has a hard, marbled heart. It doesn't care about the lost. Nicodemus had a hard heart. He didn't understand his position, but being confronted with his own condition. He began to identify with Jesus. He began to defend Jesus. And then at Jesus' burial, Nicodemus shows up in a tomb that had been hewn out of a single piece of rock, maybe stood for his heart. Every word of Jesus carved out a new place. Carved out a new place. Carved out a new place that looked a little bit like a like a coffin to some and a throne to others. It's the place where Nicodemus died with Jesus so that he could be raised with Jesus. I pray your heart's being softened today. You say, well, I'm not a bad person. Of course you are. By the time you were two, you were already lying. By the time you were three, you'd push somebody out of the way just to get their cupcake. By the time you were a teenager, you were having unwholesome thoughts about things that you shouldn't have had thoughts about. Don't sit here and lie to yourself. Well, I, 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 I never liar. You know. I can put any one of you in a position to have lied. All i got to do is ask you in front of your parents certain questions. and you alive? I know what's in you. Because it's the same thing that was in me, and I had to die to it. And every day, I have to die to it so that I can live to Jesus. We're going to worship. I'm not going to make a long emotional plea. I don't do it. If you don't have the backbone to hop up, to run down here, Say these things need to die, that Jesus might live. You won't make it. We don't do every owl, a head bowed, every eye closed, raise a pinky for Jesus because it's a cowardly confession. Jesus died before a whole world, bleeding and naked. You can't stand in front of a bunch of Christians for Him. You're not worthy of the kingdom. You feel His spirit thumping in your chest feel that, if you want the substance of heaven, oh, Jesus will, he meet you in your obedience. He demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. How much more will he cause us to live with the other I'm telling you, this is not all bad news. This is the place where he finds a hewn out spot in your heart a circumcised spot in your heart. Some of you have been living in the church all of your life but never living right. I know you. Some of you say all of the right things, but you live like hell. It's time to get a breath of heaven. It's time to get endued with power from on high. He can touch the world with the people that are here. But in His supreme wisdom, gave you a choice. You'll be held accountable for that. Why don't you stand to your feet? He gave us a choice. you ever thought that if you were at the foot of the cross, I mean, if I had been there, you know, I never would have let Jesus be crucified. Come on, anybody ever had that thought in here? How many times in your own life have you let Him be crucified because you said yes to sin and righteousness? Your sin killed him. We like to say the sin of the whole world killed him, but it was yours very personally. Because he came to seek and save the one out of the ninety-nine. He loved us enough to inject himself into this hellish creation and give us a way to make it heaven that it starts inside As soon as we sing. Not four measures into it. Not ten measures into it. You need to get right with God as soon as we sing. You get to the center of this aisle. you run up here. I'm going to tell you something else, church. I love you. If this is not you, if you know that you know that you are right with God, and you want to be a prayer warrior, do it from your seat. There's a mingling that is not healthy. Oh, we'll all go do it together, and then it's like like none of us really stands out. No, you need to stand out. There needs to be a turning point. I didn't stand with ten other men at the altar to marry my wife. It was me that stood there, because she was my bride. Will you stand for Jesus? Will you stand if nobody else stands? Or can you only get saved in a group? What happens when they're not there? You want Him to love you, to fill you with His presence, then love Him enough to stand out in a crowd for Him. His precious baby was the first to come. She didn't even wait for a bar of the song. You don't have to wait. You want the baptism when the Holy Ghost comes. You want salvation? Come! Don't hide in a crowd. He didn't do it. He didn't do it. We're going to sing. And now it's up to you. It is up to you.
1: Come to the altar. Come! What What I need, righteousness, righteousness is what you want.